So I want to thank everyone for being here. Thank you for your practice. Thank you for valuing listening. It's quite wonderful that this many people have taken nine days just to listen. We don't have to look very far to see the consequences of not being able to listen for our world. We don't have to look far to see the consequences of only being proficient at listening to one channel, the sound of our own thoughts. So it is very heartening. that so many of us are interested in opening up the soundscape. So Jogan gave a very simple instruction in his last talk, which was to set the intention to attend to a sound and stay committed. This is the practice. If the mind wanders off, simply come back. He had a very helpful analogy, a stereo plugged into the wall, his cat scampering over the cord, pulling it out, plugging it back in. (coughs) Keep the plug in the wall, keep the cats away. If the cats come, plug back in, again and again and again. So simple, so difficult. This question comes up for me. Maybe it's come up for you. Why are we so enchanted with ourselves? Why are we so uninterested in everything else? Often, Sushin can feel like nothing more than front row seats on this enchantment. We can see our very developed state of wishing. But don't forget 
that you've already touched onto a broader soundscape. You've had a glimpse. You've been disrupted. Other channels are playing or you wouldn't be here. There is a sense of disruption that brings us onto the spiritual path. And disruption can come in many forms. Maybe we're moved by the radiance of another being, begins some kind of stirring in our heart. We can't quite understand. Maybe we're touched by the feelings in a piece of land or the ambience of a spiritual community. Or maybe we're blindsided by great grief or great awe. Whatever it is, the call to spiritual life is mysterious and it is moving. It moves us on to new territory. It takes us out of the center of things. I like to imagine that we are moving on to devotional ground. What does this mean to move on to devotional ground? Here we have the inkling that we are a part of something larger. Here we surrender our certainty. Here we come to realize that we don't know many things. In the Indian tradition, this devotional territory is called bhakti. It's also known as the path of love. It's a place of strong affection, strong dedication, strong surrender. The word bhakti is derived from the Sanskrit root called bhaj, which means to share or participate. A bhakta, a devotee, has a sense of a shared life. That they are a person first and foremost through relationship. In the Vedic tradition, which is the oldest religious tradition of India, this insight is described by the word purvatva, which means fullness. When we are in relationship, we feel full. I'm very interested in this devotional aspect of practice. 
I've been very influenced by my family of origin. They are Sri Lankan Theravadan Buddhists. And their expression of Buddhism is primarily giving and reverence. Very few of them have actually sat on a meditation cushion or attended a retreat. They cultivate chaga, which is the Pali word for the intention of generosity, and dana, the actual practice of giving. And they are deeply committed to sila, the precepts, or the guidelines for ethical living. I find it interesting that there is this distinction made in the Buddhist text between our intention towards generosity and what we actually do. They bring attention to the fact that you can feel generous without giving. Have you ever had that experience of a thought of generosity or kindness bubbling up and then you second guess the thought and don't act? You can also give without feeling generous. In the Buddhist tradition, this is still considered beneficial. It reminds me of the Buddhist teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh's advice, to put a smile on your face even if you don't feel it. Soon enough, it will become real. This is something we can remember in Sushin. The hope is that at some point, intention and action align, and this results in a generous or kind act or a real smile. This emphasis on generosity and the precepts as the main practice of Buddhism is not unusual for many Buddhists throughout the world. In the West, we have definitely prioritized meditation and the results of a clear mind as the pinnacle of Dharma expression. And as a Westerner, I've even questioned the authenticity of my family's practice of Buddhism. Are they actually Buddhists if they don't meditate? Over time, I've come to realize the ignorance of this view, and I've begun to place value on their devotional orientation and what I can learn from that. There is a reason that generosity is considered the foundational practice of the Dharma. Remember the story. After years of striving, it was the moment when Siddhartha Gautama relaxed and accepted the offering of some milk rice to restore his starved body. The moment that he accepted the kindness of others that his practice opened up.
began to see himself as a person in relationship, not just an individual striving for their own freedom. Practice becomes interesting and fruitful when we take ourselves out of the center of things. So how do we do this? Take ourselves out of the center of things. One helpful method is invocation. We do this all the time here. But maybe we don't know that we are doing this. Invocatory practice. We do this when we take refuge. When we recite the ancestors' names. During chanting service, many of the chants are calling forth energies and support. In an utterance, we connect this body through space and time. Invocations shift perspective. What a beautiful thing. We express our faith in a caring and supportive universe. We are not alone. We can ask for help. We engage in a devotional act. I recently came across a very small book by the bhikkhu, Nyanaponika Tara. And it's a book about devotional practices in Buddhism. He talks about the value of meditations that bring the Buddha to mind. He sees them as ways of gladdening and purifying the mind. He says, when a noble disciple contemplates upon the enlightened one, at that moment, Their mind is not enwrapped in lust, nor in hatred, nor in delusion. At that time, their mind is rightly directed. By cultivating this contemplation, many beings become purified. Quite simply, when you are holding the Buddha in your mind, You are not holding something else in your mind. He goes on to say, 
devotional meditations on the Buddha inspire one to live, as it were, in the Buddha's presence. In so doing, one will feel inspired to great endeavor in emulation of their great example. We've probably all sat up a bit straighter or tried a little harder when someone that we respect walks into the room. He goes on to say, the recollection of the Buddha is productive of joy. It is an effective way of invigorating the mind, of lifting it up from the states of listlessness, tension, fatigue, and frustration, which can occur during meditation as well as in ordinary life. This beautiful room that we are sitting in right now, this statue behind me, the fragrance of the incense, this soundscape, all ways of gladdening the mind. When we recognize what is being offered, joy naturally arises. Through devoted attention, we chip away at this enchantment that makes even listening to a simple sound so difficult. We align with a larger view. Today I wanted to share a method for entering into devotional territory that comes from my practice of Indian classical dance, which is a devotional practice of Hinduism. In this tradition, you cannot listen until you go through a process of emptying out. So to set the framework for emptying out, we are given a devotional gesture. This gesture is done before and after we practice. And I have often approached a period of zazen with this in my mind's eye. This gesture makes vivid the sources of support in our lives. It brings up feelings of respect and gratitude as preliminaries for practice.
So the first instruction, just like Zazen, is to enliven the body. It's necessary to shift our focus from our thoughts to the actual experience. In the Indian tradition, there is this word, vahana, which means vehicle. The gods of Hinduism are associated with ways of moving towards liberation and displaying their divinity through forms of transport. These are often in the form of animals or mythical beings. So the elephant god Ganesh has a mouse. The god Shiva has a bull. The goddess Saraswati has a swan. These vehicles highlight supportive attributes for the gods or goddesses. Unlike a big, bulky elephant, the mouse is quick and sharp. Unlike a renunciant god like Shiva, the bull is involved in the world. Unlike the goddess of wisdom, Saraswati, who is concerned with learning things, the swan is graceful, beautiful. They are companions that know how to listen. So the first instruction for us is to create the vahana. We bring our attention to this body as a listening device. We do this by bringing attention to three points. First, the hands. In the dance tradition, we form mudras, hand positions, to intensify the action of the hand. And many of us are familiar with the dhyana mudra, or the cosmic mudra. You can explore that or you can explore the dance hand, which is like this. So you establish the mudra. You'll notice that the attention of the hand does not stop at the wrist. It travels up through your arm and further. How far does that attention extend? How far can you trace the path of hand attention throughout your body? 
you feel the qualities of listening in the hands? Receptivity, kindness, responsiveness. Now we're asked to relax the intensity of the hand. Let's see if we can maintain the feeling of the path of attention, the track of listening. Now bring awareness to your feet, the soles of your feet, or the area where the foot rests against the ground. You'll notice that attention to the foot does not stop at the ankle, but continues up through the leg. How far does it flow up? Can you trace the path of foot attention throughout your body? Can you feel the qualities of a listening foot? Now relax the intensity of the foot, but see if you can maintain the feeling of that path of attention. This track of listening. Next, bring your attention to your spine. Where does your spine begin and end? How far down? How far up? Can you trace the path of spine attention throughout your body? Can you feel the qualities of a listening spine? Now relax but keep the path of attention, the track of listening. Attention to these points sets the physical framework for receptivity. You must be both attentive and relaxed.
once the body is established, next instruction is to gather the energy around you. Open your eyes. The eyes are a potent tool. Take it all in. Notice the aliveness of this room. The breathing bodies. The shimmering light. The soundscape. Draw this energy in. Gather. Become full. With this feeling of receptive attention to the body and fullness, we bring forth gratitude. First to the earth, which we literally touch. Please touch the earth. And we bring this to our eyes, this feeling of direct connection. Feeling its rootedness, support, stability. We appreciate the ground on which we stand. Next, we pay respect to the great mystery. Can bring your attention to the limitless space above your head. Can engage a feeling of vastness, awe, wonder. Next, we pay respect to the teachers by focusing on the area between our eyes. Notice your focus. And lastly, at the heart region, we pay respect to everyone else, all beings. We engage a feeling of warmth, connection. This is the fourfold salutation, bowing to the earth, to the mystery, to the teachers, to all beings. We end by reciting a Sanskrit verse, which makes vivid our lives as interconnection. Angikam bhuvanam yasya, vachikam sarva vagmayam, 
Aharyam Chandrataradi Tam Namaha Satvikam Shivam. My body is the universe. Expression connects me to everything. I am adorned with the sun, the moon, the stars. I bow down to this mystery. My body is the universe. Expression connects me to everything. I am adorned with the sun, the moon, the stars. I bow down to this mystery. In the dance tradition, this gesture sets the conditions to be moved to be touched, to be practiced. It sets up the framework for expression to flow through. Really, it is nothing different from what we are doing here now. Establishing receptive attention through the body. Noticing and gathering energy so there is a feeling of fullness. Making vivid our sources of support and acknowledging our interconnected lives. When we practice listening, it can be very helpful to acknowledge that we are being heard, that our life is resonant. When we throw the sound of our lives into the universe, Who knows what may come forward? So as we sit together this week, may we all water the devotional ground. May we all experience the joy and support of profound connection May we all see the gifts that are being given and what we have to offer.